podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Rewatch Project with uh, Hannah and Mike. I am Hannah, and with me always is... Mike. <laughs> oh, is that what I say? Like, um... Hello. Hello. Over. Uh... Well, your voice is a lot deeper than mine. I was trying to make mine deeper. What on earth are you talking about, darling? No, uh, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are here to talk about another season one episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, take two. Take two. Um, yeah, I suppose we should pull the curtain back a little bit here. I think we're going to have to with yeah. this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been um, I've been podcasting for nearly fifteen years, and this has only ever happened once before, uh, where we lost a recording. So we have actually um, already recorded this episode before, uh, and we've actually recorded, I think, three episodes after this as yeah. well. Um, we finished season one. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, we finished season one and we've done a wrap up episode <laughs> yeah, as yeah. well. But when it came to edit, editing them, there was a bit of a, a bit of a clusterfuck a on my snafu. part and, uh, and, and we lost the episode. But fortunately, um, Hannah and I drank so much wine when we were recording this episode that I can barely remember it. So, um, <laughs> and we are the people who've rewatched an entire episode that we had actually watched. Do you remember we were watching it? Oh no, no, that was Fargo, wasn't it? We were watching. Do you remember? And we were like, Maybe this is where we stop watching it. Oh, and yeah. Then, and like... and it, it got right to the end. And we were like, no, we watched that. And this is like the night after. <laughs> so uh, I think I think we just thought that there should be more. Yeah. 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 So um, so hopefully this won't feel too contrived. And, um, you know, it's it, time has elapsed as well. I mean, as I say, we have recorded a few episodes since this. Because yeah. the way we, the, we record is we tend to have these little bursts where we'll do a bunch of episodes and then yeah. we'll have a gap. So um, we've had a burst and, and also a gap. while Mike was off work for the Christmas holidays, we were able to record a bit sure. more than usual. Yeah, that's 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 a great point. Um, so it has been a while since we've done this, so it's not going to be one of the, hopefully not going to be one of those awkward ones where we go back and we're kind of like, as I have already said, because I think enough time's gone by that it will feel somewhat fresh. But yeah. I thought it, it was worth getting that all out on the table because we'd probably end up having to make some references to it when we're doing it. But yeah. um, but anyway, um, before we get into that, I just want to very briefly remind everybody to go over to uh, We Are Pod Syndicates to uh, take a look at That's wearepodsyndicate.com to take a look at the other podcasts there. There's been quite a lot of activity there this week. Um, I know some articles have popped up. Um, there's been a few more bonus episodes um, okay. on there. We've had um, the, uh, I think, Play It Forward, which is a spin off podcast that Noel, uh, Ian, and Mark do. Uh, I'm also doing a bonus episode on Sunday. I'm interviewing um, a guy called Jamie Benning, who made uh, a bunch of filmumentaries. Do you remember those? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, did um, he make uh, the the Jaws one? Yeah, the Star Wars ones. Ra- Raiding the Lost Dark, Dark and yeah. Star Wars Begins. Uh, he did a bunch of those. Um, They're really good. Yeah, so I'm... I'm um, doing a, a podcast with him uh, this weekend as well which will also be going up on the bonus feed as well so uh, yeah it's worth checking that out I, w- I wanted to make special mention of that because I don't I plug that too often I am not doing any bonus podcasts because I'm up to my eyeballs and work and school fundraising hey just podcast that live cast yeah hey guys I'm coming to you direct from the school garden yeah and I'm having a fucking meltdown <laughs> quite frankly <laughs> so uh, I think that's, that could be quite good it could be a sort of um, 
Gervaisian kind of cringe comedy, couldn't it? Uh, but uh, I should probably go back actually and check to make sure that there wasn't some feedback that we did um, on this episode yeah. um, because it would be a shame it to miss that. Probably wasn't because there was, I do, the, we had a gap. Didn't I we? seem to remember we recorded sort of three or four. One night after the yeah, other. Yeah, there wasn't and time, I'm, I'm was it? I'm pretty sure this was one yeah. of them. I'll, I'll um, double check that. And there's no point us doing feedback if we have any today because obviously it'll be completely out of order. So, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so, um, so yeah, yeah um, but that's where we are. Um, so, Hannah, which episode are we covering today? Okay, so the episode we are watching tonight is called Nothing Personal. It was um, aired on the 29th of April 2014. This is season one, episode 20. Synopsis says, just when there's no one left to trust, Agent Maria Hill returns to team up with Coulson as S.H.I.E.L.D. is being destroyed around them. Uh, it is directed by Billy Gerhardt and written by Paul Zibazewski and Daniel J. Doyle. Um, Billy Gerhardt, very much known for SWAT, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Once Upon a Time... Marvel's Most Wanted, The Walking Dead, Jessica Jones. Oh, Marvel's Most Wanted is the, that's the um, spin-off series pilot that was that never went anywhere. Yeah, TV movie, yep. Um, Which we should watch as part of this rewatch yeah, we well, when we get to that point, because yes. I've never seen that. Most definitely. Paul Zibazewski, obviously, we've talked about many times before, and um, I think he was just recently on a, a live chat with, Elizabeth Henstridge and oh, yes, Take Road, which was really interesting. Uh, DJ Doyle is a, if I remember rightly, he's a staff writer. Um, yeah, he's a big. I think he co-wrote the final he, episode of the season. He he um, he is credited with forty six episodes. Wow, that's a lot. So that's a lot. Um, yeah, he's um, very much Team Shield. Yeah, absolutely. So there we go. Okay, so we will um, take a short break and we will return and um, we will give you our initially non-spoiler opinions of the episode and then we'll get into a little bit of spoiler talk assuming we have any. So we will be back shortly. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to Film Bastards, a podcast where three friends, two of them married and two of them podcasting life partners, chat everything from new releases, trailers, news, and an eclectic mix of other film goodies. Oh, and many, many, many tangents. You can find them by searching your podcast provider, or check them out on Twitter and Instagram by searching Film Bastards. You never know, you might like it. And if you don't, well, we don't really give a f- the Mulberry Boys, every Friday night on the show, you better know they keep it tight. ETL is back and the Jstrom's in the zone. Introduce the co-host, he doesn't do it alone. PCZ is about to hold court. You know he's on the headset, you can hear him snort. Pop culture movies, TV shows and games. Rotten Tomatoes reviews news and Blu-rays. Foggy don't play around, he will bust a drop fast. Welcome to the Entertainment Landfill Podcast. The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. What? What? The Jason and Steven Show. It's the Jason and Steven Show. 
All new next Tuesday. Multiple contacts. Take cover. On behalf of the United States Armed Forces, I order you to stand down. Rogue agents with nothing left to lose. Show me your hands now. And nowhere left to hide. How the hell did you find it? I told them. There is no shield anymore. Only two episodes remain until the astonishing season finale. New Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. next Tuesday at 8, 7 central. And see full episodes anytime on Watch ABC and ABC On Demand. Okay, so welcome back, everybody. So we have just watched the anti-penultimate episode. Anti-penultimate. That means the last but one but one. Last but one but one. Yeah. Well, I suppose it rolls off the tongue better than that. Well, somebody had to come up with a word. It's like a hoi hoi in that regard. Um, <laughs> off microphone conversation that uh, we're calling back to you there. But yeah, so we finished watching the episode uh, Nothing Personal mm-hmm. from season one of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So Hannah, once FD, again... It could have been, a.k.a. everything personal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? I love this one. And considering this is the third time I've watched it now... Um, it, yeah, it's it's a really great episode. It's so solid. It um, there's some excellent writing in there. The acting is wonderful. The story moves on at a pace, but also has room to breathe and quiet moments. It has some comedy beats that you really lesser shows wouldn't have even included. Yes, um, and the fact that it ends on slightly a comedic beat is yeah. Is quite impressive, I think. Um, loved it. What about you? Yeah, I mean, this is one of the best episodes of the season. And it's funny as well, because uh, I don't want to spoiler an episode that hasn't been made yet. But, but um, it, it, Hannah and I, uh, and I think we'll probably do this with all the shows that we cover between seasons. We do a kind of a, a roundup of the season and we do our sort of a few categories and things. Um, and I, I didn't include this in my top three I episodes. Didn't but I think it probably should have been mm. because it really yeah. is the episode where you get all of the fallout. And we've, we, and you and I have said before that one of the things that S.H.I.E.L.D. does very well is it has an engrossing plot, but it isn't mired in the plot. It's more interested in what that brings out of the characters. And it's this is where you get that. amazing character development in this, in this episode, I think. Um, both stuff that I will speak about in the spoiler section and just general um you know um movement in the characters especially simmons i think um you know i think both of fitz oh yeah but like simmons in particular i think um they they make such a point of showing how far she's come in her confidence in herself and her ability to know the next step that she should be taking as an agent and feeling clear and confident in her decisions and where she needs to be going to morally kind of reconcile with herself and also reconcile within the team. Like what does she need to do to be a good agent, a good team member and a good person? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree Um, with that. I I, I mean, in some ways, uh, I was just thinking what um I think there's probably character development for every single one of the of the key cast members all of them yeah even, you know I mean if you think about it you've got I mean well, let's go through them. guys I mean we'll, we'll we'll break it down in more detail but Colson obviously is having to deal with not having the apparatus around him and uh, I think with Colson given that 
for the last, you know, the previous few episodes, he like the team have been wondering if he's kind of cracking up. Mm-hmm. Um, he really comes into his own. Like the crisis is there, and he is Mister Practical. He, you know, they find that um, Agent Koenig has been murdered, um, and he's just solving the puzzle it's like he's sitting there with the rubik's cube trying to work out how well, to get it, all the colors also the right i mean size. that's that's a leadership thing because what he realizes is his team are freaking out uh, but, but what he does is he he realizes that giving them a task is what they need to do yeah um so so i mean if you look at the main the main but crew, that's that's why he's the leader yeah that's what i'm saying people people question him in the last few episodes thinking oh maybe he's not up to being the leader but he is. It's just this is when he shines. This is this is when it's like okay, this is the reason you are the leader of. Yeah. This so you've got thing. so Simmons, as you say, has that character development. Obviously, yeah. Fitz is has his innocence punctured a little bit here. Yeah. And you've got May, who um, has sort of I think realised how important the team is to her from a sort of familial perspective and she sort of returns to the and fold. And how important Coulson is yeah. specifically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ward... Because she's, she's looking to get her reputation back in his eyes. Yeah. She's not worried about the rest of them. Yeah. Uh, and Ward, obvi- obviously, <laughs> there's a lot going on there. So, uh, uh, and even, I think, um, Tripp, who's like new, new to the crew, is sort of starting to bond with the team as well. So there's a... A, a lot of um, development there, but sh- well, should we go? I kind of, I kind of like with Trip that he is a fully paid-up member of the Coulson team. Like he doesn't question his loyalty to Coulson. He, um, because you know, he, he could always be a character who, oh, he's been burned by one, so he's not going to trust anyone. But he's a fully signed-up. I, I believe in Coulson. He's and a boy scout. Is the man who's going to take us. Yeah, like there's forward. a bit. Um, I mean, jumping around a little bit, obviously, but there's a bit near the end of the episode where um, Sky says to him, "Oh, you know, I didn't think you ate junk food." And he's like, "I'm on yep. vacation." And she's like, "When does the vacation end?" And he's like, "Well, when he says so." When he says, you know, he says, "I've got to go, go back and work. to work." You yeah. Know? Um, so I mean, that's a sort of um, solidification, I guess, in in, yeah. in that sort of way. Well, let's go through it. Let's go through the episode. I mean, I've got quite a bit of notes um, and. Yeah. Um, can yeah, so- I just uh, mention a couple of very minor general um, trivia things? Okay. Um, both of which, if you look on IMDb, you can find, but they are things that I had noticed last time around when we watched it in the episode. Hill's call sign when she's in the plane trying to stop Ward from taking off is 616, which is the main Marvel comic book universe. Yeah. So I thought that was a nice. Yeah, touch. I mean, and the, the on Disney Plus, there's the Marvel Six One Six. Yeah. Which is a series of documentaries about uh, niche groups within uh, fandom. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a. A lot of franchises have got um, their own number. There's um, forty-seven. Is Star Trek's number? Uh, there's a weird. Is there? Uh, yeah, it's it's. Um, it's a recurring number in Star Trek. So it's somebody noticed it in the original series, and writers now do it. Are they always try and get the number forty-seven into Star Trek? It's a weird thing. It's a bit like how Superman appears in every episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things where 
unlike the um, the Wilhelm scream, mm. it's one of those things that was never meant to be a thing. But as soon as it got noticed, then it kind of consciously Comes became a thing. thing. Mm. But um, so six one six is I've the. I've really never noticed that in Star Trek. Neither have I. I've had it pointed out to me, and uh, I mean, there's a there's a Star Trek podcast called like Portal Forty Seven that's sort of you know named after that, and it's one of those things where it's like even after it was pointed out to me, I've never really noticed it. But it's one of something that people talk about a lot, and I'm like, okay. I'll take your word for that, you know, it's just... And uh, it's surprising you haven't noticed it, considering how long you've been a Trekkie. Yeah, well, I'm not one for numerical minutiae. whatever the hell the right word oh, is. Oh, Trekkie. I'm not, trekker was this whole thing that people who were like, oh, being a Trekkie sad, I'd rather be a Trekker. It's like, you know, the fact that you make that distinction actually makes you sadder. <laughs> Whereas like, I mean, a Trekkie, he's like, oh, it's, it's mildly derisive, and it's like, well... We're obsessed with a fucking stupid TV show. It's we should, not stupid. We, we, it's awesome. We should be derided. You know. I mean, it's like on the Star Trek's awesome. No, I can care. Obviously, Star Trek I can care. <laughs> Star Trek saved me. It did save you. That's a story yeah. for another time. It is. Um, okay. Well, do you want to? Should we go through this? Because I've got I've got a sure. ton of notes. Um, I have. I just have some running notes, but um, obviously we'll get into the discussion. All right, so let's get into a sort of play-by-play. So we start off with Maria Hill, the Kobe Smulders character from the uh, Avengers, and uh, I think she's in one of the Captain America films as well, talking about all of the fallout from the events of the previous episode and also the sort of the fascination that um, the government and I suppose to a certain extent the, the, the private sector have got with the fridge. Uh, it's, I suppose it, it reminds me a little bit of in World War Two when the Allies won. And there was this scramble for people to try and get the German scientists on board, like Werner von Braun and people like that. Um, who were, I don't but, know that name. Well, they were like um, sort of rocketeers um, who, f- with the German government um, who were brought in to um, work on the American space program. Like a lot of the people who had the big breakthroughs in the American space program were the scientists who were given uh, a free pass basically to, in order to work on the space program. It just reminded me of that a little bit, the idea that suddenly all of this technology is getting is getting repurposed. Mm. Um, so we see that she's being surveyed. Um, and uh, as you say, and she's on the phone. how aware she is of it. Yes, exactly, yeah. So you can see that she's obviously very capable. And she's, as you say, she's talking to Pepper. Mm. Um, May appears and calls her out for working for Stark. And sort of, it basically, I love the fact that it's May that has taken all of the... You know the tails out, yeah, rather yeah. than anyone else. Yes, and it, it, it's one of those kind of like because it know, almost looks supernatural to start with. Because one minute they're surveilling her, and the next minute yeah, they're the shopping all cart like, is just yeah. sort of, uh, moving on its own. And uh, May calls her out for for working for Stark, and basically accuses her of privatizing global security. And they also talk about how you know Coulson had been sort of you know tahitied, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and May doesn't seem very convinced that F- that Fury, that Nick Fury's dead as well. Oh, she's not convinced at all. Yeah, she's not buying it. And they talk a little bit about Providence Base as well. Um, but then, really, I suppose the main sort of meat of of the story is where. We can see the the uh, the agents of Shield team trying to figure out where um, Sky and Ward went and what happened yep. to Koenig. Yeah. And um, Coulson mentions basically that he kind of now he's calmed down a little bit. Um, he feels bad for pushing May away. Yeah, he can see that that it was completely an emotional reaction to do that and and wrong, and that she wasn't coming from a place of deception. Um, 
I think you can infer that by the way that he he does seem to regret his behaviour. Well, also, he was in the middle of his um, The Heavens Are Falling freakout session. Yeah, so yeah. it's a little bit of one of those kind of like, honey, this isn't about the ketchup bottle, is it? <laughs> it's one of those kind of moments. Where this is about something else. This isn't about the the order in which I've stacked the saucepans, is it? <laughs> yeah. Fitz notices that the sort of virtual picture is, uh, yeah. is, is all kind of fucked. And, uh, and you can, and you totally can see why Sky did that because she would have known that he would spot that. Yeah. He'd get all kind of OCD about yeah. it as well. And, um, so, so it's using the Nova team. And, and so we see that there's a, um, she's scratched, uh, Ward is Hydra. Yeah. I like a, that he finds that at the same point that, Simmons discovers the body. Yeah, a very horror movie kind of editing. Oh, really? I, I also like movie. the fact that there's no logical reason for this apart from aesthetic. The fact that Sky has scratched it in kind of horror movie-ish yeah. writing. It's like she shows a font very kind well, of dramatically. Why would Simmons decide to make pancakes for everybody? Like, it it seems tenuous at best that that's going to be the thing that's going to cheer everybody up. Yeah, I think that was just a, a, a deliberately kind of silly beat. I mean, they could have come up with other, any reason for them to yeah. be sort of wandering around. It's there. it's the only bit of dialogue that I've felt kind of like nowhere near as bad, but it was slightly a, is that raining? I had a notice kind of moment. <laughs> That's falling to the funeral, basically, yeah. for anybody who uh, is sane and hasn't seen that film. Andy McDowell. Uh, yeah. Also, I was thinking that when she's like, oh, I'll go and see if there's any pancake mixture, and he's like, oh, I'll fire up the thing. I'm thinking, well, don't fire it up until you know she's found it. Because otherwise, <laughs> you're going to end up with like... A- That's so funny. I had the same thought, like, God, that pan is going to be smoking yeah. hot by the time you've found yeah. the batter and like, come out. And <laughs> You're very confident that this secret government facility has got, like, pancake ingredients in it. Um, and they're going to burn because it'll be too hot. Yeah, yeah. You put the thing on and it'll just be a shit show. But when it's revealed, we, you know, I like the fact that the way uh, Colson phrases it, he says, we, we've had a, a wolf in the herd the whole time. A wolf um, in the hen house. Um Sorry? Didn't he say No, it's his wolf in the herd. Oh. I was about to say, because I, I was like, God, because that's how I phrased it. But I, I, when we were talking about it the other week, I noticed from editing it, I said there was a wolf in the hen houses. Oh, yeah. right. Um, but so the other, the other thing about this episode that I think is interesting, and I don't think I noticed this last time we recorded uh, this podcast episode, is <laughs> I think there's a little bit of subtextual stuff about controlling boyfriends or abusive partners going on here. Yeah. Because uh, in the scenes where... A lot of the tension of this episode is that um, Sky um, is procrastinating about um, um, in- de-encoding um, the secured hard drive. Yeah. So there's a lot of tension derived from the will she get found out. Mm. And so there's a lot of shots of, for example, Ward looking over her shoulder and being like, no, you don't need to do that. I oh, don't think about that. Taking the girl off, and you don't need that. And just I've sort already of, called the team. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. And you could imagine that kind of behaviour in a straight drama about a sort of controlling partner. Oh, you know? definitely. Um, yep. So I think that they're doing a little bit of that sci-fi allegory kind of thing in there. Um, and I noticed that a lot more. I mean, right down to the fact that, like, when they're in the diner, it almost feels like, you know, he, he's... There's a lot of tension in that scene around, um, you know, will he find out, will she reveal it... Uh, how is she going to get away with this? But it it, may, it could be just a, a, an abusive boyfriend being like, "Who are you emailing? Yeah. You know, who are you texting? It's if it's play. Who are you speaking it's, to? It's what are shot, you doing? Yeah, yeah, it's shot like that. You know. Yeah. Um. So um, 
the, the I mean, I think one of the key episodes, uh, moments in the episode, and we've talked about this before, this whole how people react, is you've got Fitz freaking out and doing what I think the audience did and saying... Uh, he, he, Maybe he, he's under control. He, he rattles off all of these sci-fi ideas about, well, this is what it can be. And he's freaking out. And whilst that's happening, you see that he's sort of saying, you know, tell them, Simmons. And he's basically saying what the audience thinks as well. And he, like I say, he, he bangs... Um, off some sort of sci-fi TV reasons why it might not be real. Uh, he freaks out, but sort of Simmons silently cries. She's sort of like internalising it. Mm. And um, basically, Coulson says that they have to keep it together for Sky. He's like, look, she's out there. She obviously knows, because, you know, she put that sign up. So, what she, so for some reason, she's gone along with this. And he realises at that point when, um, that Sky basically is needed by Hydra to encrypt the drive. Yeah. Um, and it's a nice little bonding moment between Coulson and Tripp as well, where Tripp's sort of like, yeah, that was a good play to really centralise the fact that we're going to try and find her um, because it mobilises the team. And it almost... And Fitz is concentrating on the task yeah, at hand. But the fact that it's Tripp saying that, it almost makes him feel like he's kind of number one. Yeah. You know, like he's the sort of the advisor sort of right-hand guy in this yep. situation. Partly because May's not around, I think, as well. Yeah, um, oh, he's totally taken that role on, Yeah, for sure. And, oh, no, go on. Um, no, I was just going to say that um, not long after that, um, the base gets infiltrated and you don't know who it is to start with. And when the thing gets tripped, the alarm, mm. um, so that they know that there's people in the barrier and Coulson says... I should have knocked on wood because he'd just said about having at last finally some progress or something like that. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was such a nice little slightly comedic beat. Yeah, there's a few moments like that, like earlier on when um, he says, like, you know, Tripp says to him, oh, you're doing really well with this. And he's like, oh, I'm going to have a major freak out later. Yeah. He's like, but in the meantime, you know, we've got we've got shit to do, so we've got to kind of... Yeah. Uh, well, then not, not long after that, um, it cuts to May digging up the grave um, we have actually skipped quite a lot of the episode. Oh. We've skipped all the stuff in the diner with... Um... Oh, well, we'll come back to that. Okay. But um, just tying into oh, okay. the point yeah, sorry. I just made, it cuts to May digging up the grave and she jumps up with the flash drive in her hand and looks at the the dude who's obviously been paying his respects to a family member or whatever um, and looks at him and says, my condolences, before taking off. And it was just like... So many TV shows just wouldn't include that, and it's extraneous. It's not needed, but well, it's it old gives, school. It gives its tone. It like, and that's a very Buffy thing as well. It's, it's, like, it's, there's it's, always time for the quip. It's old school because in now everything obviously is quite quote realistic and dour. But what that reminds me of is that reminds me almost of like Arnie movies. It's uh, or like you know the bit in um, tough some steam, better. Yeah, well, it, it, specifically, it reminds me of two things. It reminds me of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade when, when they're on the the, the Goodyear blimp, like the, the Hindenburg, mm. and um, Indy's pretending to be the ticket checker, and he throws one of the bad guys out the window. Somebody sees him, and he's like, "No ticket." You know that <laughs> moment feels like that, yeah. oh, and also. 
uh, and I'm, I'm getting deja vu here, so I think I probably said this when we recorded this the last time. The obligatory something crazy in sci-fi is happening whilst a homeless drunk guy on a bench sees it and rubs his eyes, rubs his eyes pours his vodka yeah. away, kind yeah, of. You know, yeah. it's that that kind yeah. of like. Um, um, it just it very eighties. It reminded me a little bit of um, what's the moment in Buffy when she says something about Gandhi. Oh, do you want to see my impression of Gandhi? And she smashes a guy's head in. He's like, your impression of Gandhi? And she's like, yeah, he was pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. even make sense, but it's kind yeah, of yeah. But that, like, I just sort of feel like that fits with with um, like those moments in S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, that's just random, but also fits so well into the episode. So, yeah, so Providence Base gets infiltrated by uh, Special Forces agents. Uh, and we see Tolbert, played by Adrian Pazda. And I think I've said this before. I've put that, this note, great apple-chewing asshole. Yes, yes. I'll <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, tell you what, you wouldn't want to place the apostrophe in the wrong place on that sentence, would you? <laughs> <laughs> great apple-chewing asshole. <laughs> um I really like Adrian Pastar in this role. I feel like he really gets the tone. Yeah, I think because he does I think that the thing with Agents of Shield and with Marvel is that you've got you've got like a spectrum of tone. You've got you can go if I mean if you look for example particularly at Infinity War and Endgame, you can go pretty dark. Mm. You know, like if you look at particularly um, in the early part of Endgame, after they've killed Thanos, but you know obviously he's still quote one, mm. and they go back to Earth and you've got Cap in those like. Um, Recovery meetings. Yes, the recovery yeah. meetings. If you look at that one as one extreme of a tone, and then on the other extreme, you've got like Thor Ragnarok or Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, you know, we said before that there is that kind of elasticity, but and I feel that um, Adrian Pazda definitely exists on the one extreme of being the kind of the cartoony. Um, I think you know, we talked about this last time. He is the epitome of the cartoon character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But... It fits the show. Oh, it 100% does. You know, He's I, such a great character. And I think that one of the things that you'd lose if this, this show was maybe if it was like... Actually, no, I don't know. I was going to say if it was a Disney Plus show, they probably wouldn't. But at the same time, even on WandaVision, you've got things like the like the cop character from Ant-Man. Yeah, he feels very Agents of Shieldy as yeah. far as like the fact that he's kind of a funny character. Well, didn't someone in the Chinstroker versus Punter group put up about how? Um, people have been talking about wouldn't it be cool to have a TV show like a comedy X Files like you? yeah basically um, investigating I weird think... and wonderful things and and uh, someone put up about how well that's you and I would say that's basically Agents of Shield well yeah yeah exactly yeah. Well, and also it was like they'd be like the X Files but funny the X Files could be fucking hilarious um, you know I mean they did a lot of, of comedy episodes but also. I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if they were setting up, and I bet you that that actress whose name I can never remember from the Thor movies would be the psychic who was in WandaVision as well last week. The actress in... You know, from Two Broke oh, Girls? For, um, Kat Dennings. Kat Dennings, yeah. 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 So I think, I, think I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw that. I mean, God, how many how many sort of guest characters that cropped up in the last series of Mandalorian are now getting their own shows? Yeah, and I don't see why this would be any different. She's a good she's a good actress. Yeah, well, also, I mean, she's she's a sitcom actress, and I think that comedy actors, most comedy actors can can do dramatic, but yeah. not very many dramatic actors can do comedy. It's, I, I love the fact as well, and it, it's such a great comic book moment that I'm surprised they didn't comment on it, but it would have been stealing a bit of a comedy beat. It's the fact that um, when. 
the special ops guys break in and Coulson's sort of doing his whole, I'm not going to come out if you're going to shoot me kind of bit. Mm. Uh, he's like, I'm surprised you could find her. How did you even find the place? And at the perfect timing, she walks around the corner. He's like, I told him. Mm. It's like, so was she already walking? And it just <laughs> was just coincidence that at the perfect time she came around the corner? Yeah. Or was she like, oh, this will be cool <laughs> if I kind of go and do this? Was it a, the light bulbs out? And- yeah, yeah. If it, if, yeah, it yeah. feels like that. It's... Uh, um, but yeah, she's, so she told them. Um, so we get that scene you mentioned where May digs up Colson's grave and she finds the pen drive. Uh, we get um, Tolbert is debriefing them to try and get some intel. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you say, it's like, since when did the, did the act of eating an apple become synonymous with arrogance? Yeah. I, I suspect that it's William Shatner. Because there's a famous bit in Star Trek The Wrath of Khan where you find out that he's cheated the, the Kobe Co- Yeah, yeah. And he kind of takes a bite out of an apple and he's like, I don't like to lose. Yeah. And in the J.J. Abrams films, they've got Chris Pine eating an apple as well. It's almost as like, yeah. it's become shorthand for just kind of like, I'm, I'm so casual. Co- cocky prick. A cocky prick, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, whenever I eat an apple now, I always feel like I'm wasting it. I'm like, I feel like I should be doing something slightly cocky <laughs> or like overly confident while I'm doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so um, they want basically to, um, obviously the, the the team are raring to get out of this situation because they want to go and save Sky. Um, I love I love the scene where Coulson totally chews Hill out about Tahiti initially, and then just like because when the conversation starts, she has the upper hand, and she's like. Of course, you're a liability, and of course this, and of course that, and yeah, take you know, the deal. blah blah blah. And you know, this is why I've done it. And you think she's being quite sort of like, well, yeah, okay, I see your point of view. Super pragmatic. And then, and then he's totally like, listen, you dumbass. We were totally on the verge of, you know, getting the bad guys. We know blah, who blah, blah. the Garrett's still alive, hands dead. Ward's Hydra. Yeah, and. And that's when she gets really pissed off, like, holy shit, I was in charge of bringing him into the firm and he yeah. is well, I mean, a worm. She, she's realised that she made an uninformed decision. And, yeah. um, but and I also, that pisses her off more than anything. Yeah, but I, I also like, I mean, the bit before that when Tolbert is basically telling him to make the deal in the maze because it's weirdly realistic within the context of the universe that what's happening is happening because... Um, I'm just hit my notes a second because it's like so. Basically, what what Talbot's saying to me is, look, you guys are going to go to jail unless you can give us something. Mm. So what he's saying is that they basically they need to sell to him their value as if they don't have a use for them in the government or the private sector. They're fucked, basically. Mm. You know, so it's kind of like you need to be able to say that you've got some super death ray technology that you're working on, yeah. or um, you know, what have you got? Because all of that stuff is getting absorbed into the government and the private sector. So if, they, if they've got nothing that they can bring to the party, mm. then they've got no leverage, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and he's, Coulson basically says to Hill that the problem is, is that they're both living in the past. She's still trying to protect S.H.I.E.L.D. secrets, even though S.H.I.E.L.D. doesn't exist anymore. And... She accuses Coulson of still trying to live by the ideals of S.H.I.E.L.D., even though they don't exist anymore, and the ideals were kind of a joke because 
they were um, they were Hydra. Yeah. Uh, but as you say, she feels responsible for Ward um, as she vetted him. Um, I love the fact that um, she gives that cue, you know, to Talbot, knock yourself out. And Coulson and May know that that's their, yeah, they're, they're their sort of go ahead to kind of... Call to action. Knock some heads. Yeah. Um, I really like the way that in the scene in the, in the diner where... Um, Sky and uh, Ward having a conversation. There's a great moment before they go in as well where he's like, look, you're okay, you're being really... And he reminds the audience of what a preternatural bullshit detector he's got. Like he's mm. saying to me, well, you're you're giving me too much eye contact, which is usually what somebody does. Oh, when she's sitting there yeah. too still. Yeah, and, when, they're, when they're trying yeah. to. So you're very aware as an audience member, gosh, we hope she doesn't get found out. But then I like the fact that she starts asking him about... Um, What's the longest you've been undercover? Yeah. And it must be difficult. It, it, but do you notice she does that at the point where she sees enough police cars that she knows that they've got her tip off? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she's she's asking him how long what's the longest he's been undercover? Yeah. And um he and, she, and what that's like and you know, do you feel like you're lying? Is it dishonorable? And he's like, Well no, you know, that's the mission, that's the gig kind of thing. And with experience. Yeah. yeah. And then she starts talking about Garrett and being like, oh, how awful that must be. But I like the fact that, I mean, and you're right, the fact that the police are there means that they've got the tip. But I almost get the feeling that she wasn't quite ready to show her cards yet, but she kind of just couldn't help herself because she was just pissed off with him. Yeah. You know, that that's um, expediated mm. by the fact that she's just like, oh, there's no, massive, fuck you. you there's know, massive rage I'm, there. I'm not going to pretend that I like you it, anymore. Because it's personal. Yeah. Um, you know, all these other quote marks baddies that they've come up against, you know, they've kind of been like, um, they haven't done anything personal to them as such, you know, whereas Ward... He he has been living and working and breathing and yeah. playing and whatever with them. Um, so for her, it's worse than anything. But he really believes that it's something personal. He 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 oh, does totally. compartmentalise. Well, that. when when Sky says to him, when she compares him to a Nazi, he he's disgusted by that yeah. and and cannot understand why she can't see. Um. His point of view. It's not an ideology for him. That's no. the thing. And, and he honestly thinks he's doing the right thing. It's funny I mean, though. that's the scariest thing. That felt very prescient. Um, well, it's and, very current because of water well, versus Biden's well, it's water. A fact that I, I, I can't you know. remember where I read it, but I heard a really good quote that I thought, um, where was it? Oh, it was on Watchmen. Mm. Where... Um, they were talking about how people have all of these opinions. They just don't like the word Nazi. Yeah. People will do all all of these evil, um, repressive, Nazi-ish things. Um, they just don't like the word Nazi, you know? Yeah. And it feels a, a little bit like that here. Mm. Um, but I think, I mean, really, I mean, the episode, I mean, you mentioned this earlier on, the episode's called Nothing's Personal. And really... That's the core of the episode, is this idea that um, Ward appears, at least, to genuinely believe that he hasn't done anything. He's got his mission and he's just got to do it. It's almost like he feels like maybe he could still have a relationship with her. Oh, He's like, you know, not even necessarily a romantic one, but whether it just be a friendship or whatever, he's almost kind of like, well, you know... 
that's to- over here. This I, is over here. Yeah, I totally feel like he's sort of banking on the fact that she'll come around to his way of thinking and everything will be all right in the end. Perhaps he could have some kind of semblance of a personal life. Yeah. You know, I, I honestly think he's deluded himself into thinking yeah. that that's And I really like the way, and we've talked about a lot about the rest of the cast, but also I think that Chloe Bennett's really good in this episode because she does look genuinely just grossed out by the, by oh, the whole thing. she's you know. so fucked off with him. And, yeah. I mean, she says she's like, oh, God, I feel, I feel like I'm going to be sick. Feel sick, you know? yeah. And yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's like she almost real. it looks like she's just had sex with somebody and found out that it's actually her brother or something. You know, it's, it's that she, that's, it's that level of kind of, of, um, of trauma. Yeah. You know, and, um, but, um, but yeah, so like I say, you, you get the feeling that she really wanted to not let it out yet, but was just kind of enjoying fucking with him as well and asking him about the deep cover and lying and everything. Yeah. So the cops intervene. She steals a police car. Mike Peterson goes full Terminator 2. He does. Um, I like the fact that basically, and this is an important sort of, um, the thing to notice, I guess, is that, that Ward. I think this is this is maybe because Ward perceives Garrett as a father figure. Um, that he's pissed off that Garrett wanted Deathlock there as insurance. He's kind of offended by that, and I think well, it's, it's a little the bit... kind of sibling rivalry, isn't it? Yeah, mm. yeah, and that's a core thing for he, his character. He wants to be the you know the golden child. Mm. He doesn't want anyone else to be better than him. He wants to be number one. Sky says to him, and I think really this is probably, probably the, in, in many ways the key scene of the entire season is the scene where um, Ward and Sky are alone together on the plane for the first time since it's out. You know? Yeah. And she says, why did you do it? And he says, I was on a mission. It was nothing personal. And he says, I'm not a Nazi. Um, uh, I, he's like, I would never hurt you. And let like you say, um, he's really offended when she says that he had a part in her being shot. He's like, you think I'd hurt you? Yeah. And that's when I think that this abusive boyfriend um, thing, subtext comes back. It's almost like the, he's not normally like this. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's uh, a good uh, man, yeah. really. Or he just he just gets really passionate I, I, about yeah, things. I made him do it. You yeah, know, it, it, yeah. It, it, it's good. the language in that scene and the mm. way it's played feels like that's what they're trying to sort of evoke in the the memory of the audience. Very much so. This confrontation scene sort of climaxes with um, Sky saying, oh, "I'll never give you what you want," and I like the fact that there's a double meaning there. I think it's it's a combination of she means the encryption code, but she also means friendship, forgiveness, and understanding. Because yeah. what he wants is, and I don't even think I don't think it's even a sexual thing. I think it's more of just he sees her as being this kind of pure ideal thing, and he kind of wants her approval. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I don't think he's like sexually attracted to. Her I think he's either. turned on the charm because he thought he needed that's what he, that's what he needed I, to do I to think, get what he wants. I think he actually, and like, I mean, he's a fucked up character, and you know, it's. He like when she says he's a serial killer, he is a bit like a serial killer in that everything is distorted. Yeah. But I sort of feel like in his mind, in his version of how things are, he's kind of in love with her. Yeah. But in a family like quote marks family way rather but than But in this uh, box over here. I'm super attracted to you and I want to have lots of sex and babies. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think that when she's saying to him, I can't give you what you want from me. I'm not going or I refuse to. It's a kind of 
it's a validation almost that I think she's based, she's refusing him. Yeah. And I think that's the moment where it seems to me that he's maybe switching off to her a little bit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, it's like a dying ember. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay then. Right. It's a bit like Manhunter. The Michael um, Mann film. The Michael Mann film. When the serial killer goes out with the blind woman and you feel like he's possibly going to have some kind of redemption because he's in love with her. Yeah. And then she, there's that... Because she can't see him. Yeah, so it's yeah. Not a, so it's like this very innocent, yeah. pure thing. And then um, there's that complete misunderstanding where a colleague drops her home from work or yeah, something and just, leans he, in to take something off her face. But from his like, point of view, it's completely different. Yeah, he, he thinks that... The, the other guys like kissed her yeah, yeah. or something but there's it's 100% he's innocent. just getting a piece of lint off her jacket or something yeah and that's when his humanity ends and he's just like swallowed by the dark side I feel like that's kind of like Ward's moment well I think it's it's symbolic mm. that the very next thing that happens after she says I'm not going to give you this is his heart stops yeah and I don't think yeah. that that's a coincidence. I mean, obviously, there's a plot reason. Where, I'm glad we've rec- um, re-recorded this because we didn't get that last time. No, but it, it's the fact that you you see um, Mike Peterson puts that little art reactor thing on him mm. because he realises that that um, Sky is, is selfless to the point where she's more likely to be responsive to threats against other people. Yeah. And... Even now, and I think this is a big character moment for her. We've spoken about how this episode has character moments for all of them. And I think Mm. one of the smaller character moments is um, the fact that in many ways she is the, she's the main character on the show. Yeah. Uh, She's certainly the audience surrogate character. And she's retained her humanity. Exactly. No matter what. Yeah. And she's in the same way that a lot of great audience um, surrogate characters ultimately are, saintly Mm. you know um and you know it's i don't mean to sound cynical but you know in the real world uh, i think most people even good people would be like yeah fuck him you know Mm. Um, but she's um she's she's harry potter she's the you know um these people who who, who are who are they're the heroes of the show so they're they're aspirational you know that they're not meant to be realistic and um so you've got that so basically she um the the heart stopping technique is used as torture, and also I think what the other thing that's been done there is to further drive this narrative of um, competing um, for Garrett's um, attention in the sort of seniority mm. of the new world order between Mike yeah. and and Ward as well. Yeah, um, and and the whole using a machine to stop somebody's heart as a torture thing or a, a threat is a tried and tested science fiction thing that has happened. The amount of people who have had that done to them in Star Trek yeah. is, uh, is insane. LeVar Burton could tell you a few things about having your heart stopped for uh, <laughs> for that kind of thing. Um, so so ultimately she caves, this works. Um, there's a great sort of, um, you alluded to this scene earlier on, um, the sort of plain standoff. Um, mm, 616. And, yeah. and to his credit, you know, Ward is smart. He calls it, he's like, well, no. My guy, Garrett, doesn't give a fuck. 
He is smart, but he's also really dumb because. Well, there's two levels of the yeah. of, of chess because going on here. Because if he really it? thought that Maria Hill wouldn't realise that, of course, they're not going to give a fuck about Sky and that Coulson would. Yeah. You know, if she if they really think she's that naive, um, they are dumb because she, all she was doing was stalling them for five minutes so Coulson could get up in the plane. Yeah. You know, and if they haven't realised that, they are dumb. Yeah. You know, that's why they're the bad guys. Um, so we see that uh, Coulson basically gets onto the plane Toy Story 2 style. Yes, by, absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, well, reverse Toy Story 2. Yes, that's, yes, uh, abs- yeah, absolutely, yeah. Quite the move, um, the porno move. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this isn't it? The reverse Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse cowgirl. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, that's what I'm saying. Uh, so they, they escape in uh, Lola in the car. And mm. um, I love just the- before they escape when uh, Coulson says, New plan, run. Yeah, it just yeah. it really it did make me yeah. giggle. It's a, I mean, and I think in really simple terms, what we're talking about here is that in this age of you know Zack Snyder directing dreary Batman movies that are like R rated for some reason, even though it's fucking Batman, yeah, I think it's really easy to remember that superhero films aren't drama they're adventure Mm. and I think that when I was growing up and this this is an old man shouting at cloud kind of thing um, but generations before that as well I mean even people of my dad's generation who grew up on westerns and World War 2 movies um, it was always action adventure Mm. now it's superhero drama Mm. and it's like there's a place for that Um, but what about the adventure? And I think the, the the problem is is that this is a prescribed entertainment thing because I think that there is an appetite out for it out for this out there. I think that's why people went apeshit over the Mandalorian mm. because one of the things I was watching when I watched the first season of Mandalorian, I was like, I'm loving this, and he's doing something that I can't quite put my finger on. And I was listening to a podcast, and they were like, it's an adventure show. Mm. You know, in the same way that fucking MacGyver was an adventure show. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that MacGyver's a great show or anything like that, but I think that there's... Hey, it was awesome. I think there's something in that genre. And and for me... The things he could do with duct tape. It's amazing. You can make it sound a bit pervy there, Hannah. (laughs) The things he could do with cling film. Um, But the... I mean, the the, the one thing I always think of, when I think of, of adventure, the word adventure in films... My mind goes straight to Indiana Jones, yeah, and Raiders of Lost Ark, and uh, and Errol Flynn, you know, and like swashbuckling and all of that kind of thing. And I think that that's something that, for whatever reason, never goes away. And I think mm. that, like, if you look at when Star Wars and Jaws and Raiders of Lost Ark and came out, that was after like a ten or fifteen year period of really dark cinema of The Exorcist and The French Connection and Antiheroes and Watergate and um, cynicism and Vietnam mm. and all this kind of stuff. And then when Star Wars came out, it it gave something to the audience that they'd been craving, mm. which was escapism and adventure. And I think that we are back at that now. I think that we've had a since probably since nine eleven. Um, I think we've had a really long period of, if you look at the major franchises, it's been a lot of things like Game of Thrones mm. and The Walking Dead. Yeah. Uh, and even to a certain extent, things like Breaking Bad, where there's a lot of nihilism 
in there mm. uh, and it's great stuff it's great drama um, you know that's not a criticism of it but all things are psych- uh, circular mm. um, and I think that we are now starting to move back to a point Do where you mean and I, cyclical or circular yeah um, cyclical sorry, yeah um, is I think we've now got back to a point where and I think maybe um, you know political division um, angst around social media COVID have probably sped this up a little bit. Mm. But I think that we are back to that point again. I think that we are going to get like a... Um, and this always happens. I mean, if you, if you look at, um, you know, the Spanish flu, after that happened, um, you had the Roaring Twenties. You know, you yeah. had a time of great joy in culture, in music, jazz, uh, dancing, fashion, cinema, all of these sort of cool. things. And then the thirties uh, was the Great Depression. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I think <laughs> what we're see, what we're seeing now is, um, you know, there's a whole generation of young people who haven't been able to go to gigs and yeah. um, have go to music festivals and go clubbing and do all of these kind of things. So I think what we're going to see is a huge. Um, youth culture and cultural explosion mm. and i think that that's going to be a very one framed in um diversity and um positivity mm. and i think that you're going to see that a lot in there so i think it's interesting that when this show came out you know nearly a decade ago we were balls deep in cynicism you know yeah. uh, and i think that that's maybe one of the reasons why people were like oh, I don't like this because it reminds me a little bit of the A-Team and all those kind of shows. And now the Mandalorian comes out and people are like, I love this. It reminds me of the A-Team and all this. It's like, <laughs> well, you don't know what you got till it's gone, do you? Yeah. You know? yeah. So I think there's, there's, there's a little bit of that going on. It's light years uh, ahead of its time. Yeah. And and I think that, um, that you know, so so you've got the, and the, the reason we got onto this, obviously, is you've got the sequence where they're falling through the sky with Lola. And I remember this from the last time we spoke, is I like the fact that not only do we get the... Um, and these are the things that make you feel like it's part of the Marvel Universe as well. The fact that the the thing that Mike Peterson throws at, at Ward to make him have his heart episode looks like a mini art reactor. But the fact that when Lola has its kind of repulsor raised, mm. the wheels turn around, it looks like a cross between the DeLorean at the end of Back to the Future when it goes off to the mm. future. Yeah. Um, and um, the the World Trade Expo... Um, car that you see Howard Stark demonstrating in the first Captain America film. The thing I like is that the maiden flight, you know, when he falls from the plane, is pretty much exactly the same as Iron Man's maiden flight. It's a bit ropey and he can't control it and they go all over the place and it's all a bit woo and wah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I thought it was a nice kind of echo of the of the first Iron Man film like this is the same technology we're going to make it as fucked up as it was the first time Tony Stark had it and I love how it ends with the two of them like completely mussed up um and like I said to you um off mic that they look like um they've they've shagged um a bit like um in the pilot of How I Met Your Mother when Lily Smolders Mar- was also in. Okay, so when Lily and Marshall, when Marshall proposes to Lily and they have sex on the kitchen floor, and like it basically cuts to them sitting up with, and the only indication that anything has happened is their hairs all 
missed up. It's like TV shorthand, like yeah. like scattered brassiers yeah. around uh, the floor. So either that or like um, um, I thought it also had like a, a real comedy 50s sitcom beat, you know, that like when something explodes in your face and and your hair stands yes. on end and that's the indication that something's happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, almost, it's almost like a wily e. Coyote kind of, yeah. uh, like, Warner. But, um, th- or, like, th- someone, someone's tried to, like, light a stick of dynamite instead of a candle. Yeah. You, know? you reminded me, actually, with, with the, the mention of uh, How I Met Your Mother, is also just how good Kobe Smulders is as well, mm. because I think sometimes with sitcom, sitcom actors probably suffer typecasting more than anyone because you see them so much yeah you know and the, the and sitcom is particularly the um old school um you know two or three camera canned laughter ones they're they're such a they're almost a different medium to television and film they're their own thing they're almost like kind of somewhere between theater and tv and i think that it's very difficult to accept an actor um from a sitcom in, in anything where there's a different tone. Yeah. And um, I think that Kobe Smulders can do that. Mm. She can make that transition. Like, I mean, this is still light. Mm. This is still, you know, got that Whedon-y vibe. Um, but I think that in the moments where she is playing it straight, you don't think, oh, it's weird yeah, watching. No. Like, uh, like, if it was Lisa Kudrow, I'd probably struggle. Yeah. I struggled with her in... Oh God! What's the film called that's got um, Romeo Chris- and Michelle's High School? No, no, no. Um, that's got Christina Ricci. Oh, the opposite of sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, find, she, although find, she was playing quite a Phoebe-ish character in she that, she was. One. But I find her hard to take seriously yeah. in that film. Yeah, and like, uh, I'm not saying she didn't do a great job because, like. You know, but you've had two hundred hours of Phoebe. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was and, and, hard to disassociate. Yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, Phoebe is a very exaggerated character yeah. as well. You know, so. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it, it's almost like um, with sitcoms transitioning that. It's almost like if you took a cartoon character. It's almost like if you if if Scooby Doo was in a movie, yeah. <laughs> you'd be like. It's fucking Scooby Doo. <laughs> like I just can't. I can't accept that. Um, but I think she's really good in this, and I think she's, yeah. she's really good in the film as well. I'm surprised she doesn't do more. Yeah. Um, you also get a reminder from Hill that she says, "Look, there's no more Shield. Shield is no more." So this question of not only what are we fighting for, but you know, um, whose authority we are doing on this? Who's going to pay for this? All of these, just like these, almost administrative. Um, questions are starting to come up yeah. uh, now that the dust is, is starting to settle a little bit, and um, but yeah, so um, it's also pointed out as well that like Hill's saying to him, "Look, you should you know come and work, you know Stark could have your back," and they do reference, and I think this is nice um, that Stark still thinks he's dead, yeah, and I think that that's almost like a meta commentary on the TV universe and the movie universe. The and fact sort that of where Coulson's operating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. Um, and then we get uh, the... Um, they're all sitting around in the motel. And it's funny, I, I love... There's something I love about the aesthetic of these almost Palm Springsy, Springy hotels that are like something out of a Tom Waits song. You know, like the neon pelicans. Yeah. And uh, all of that kind of stuff. And they're just basically all just sort of sitting around like... 
Fucking hell, that was, um, that I was like a day. I like that it ends on quite a quiet scene that they're decompressing together mm. um, because it, it shows that at the end of the day, they are still a team. They do still have each other's backs, you know, despite everything. They, they are still together. Well, it's almost like know. when you see people after work kind of going, fuck, that was a day, wasn't it? Like yeah. the, the cops at the bar. Yeah. And, and and there's it's weird. There's precedent for this scene. And I know I've said before that you've got to be careful comparing this to other Joss Whedon shows too much, because although it grew out of that Joss Whedon stable, and obviously there's family members involved in the show, he isn't involved on. But he wasn't involved in the day to day running of the show. But um, there's an episode. Well, a couple of things. There's an earlier episode of Agents of Shield. I think it's the second episode where they've just finished the mission. And they pull the hatch down on the plane and they all just sit on the end and just have a beer. Have a beer. Yeah. And that's a moment where a lot of shows wouldn't bother with that. It's, mm. it's kind of superfluous, but also kind of great. And it does feel like it has this almost this post-coital kind of smoking a cigarette kind of like vibe. Yeah. And also there's a really great episode of Angel where um, it's a really big episode of the show where a lot happens. And they end up um, inheriting um, a hotel that they're going to that they own that they're going to live at and there's this really weird final scene that it's really charming and kind of odd where the episode's finished and they just order a pizza and like um one of the characters is phoning and just talking to the pizza delivery person like we own a hotel now and they're sitting there's a song playing and they're just looking out the window and it just, it just leaves the episode on this really nice, airy kind of moment. Yeah. But there's also some real kind of character stuff, like some unspoken, well, slight, so in some cases spoken, in some cases unspoken character stuff here as well, because you've got Fitz says to Simmons, they're sat there and they've kind of, you know, got their feet dangling in the pool and um, Sky and um, Colson are sort of sat around a table. Colson's, you know, loosened his tie, but still wearing his suit, you know. And it's... it's um, it's that whole civility. It's that whole kind of like, well, you know, if I start wearing sweatpants, I've just, my whole world has gone. You know, it's like mm. the suit is a suit of armour, you know, mm. Barney Stinson style. And, um, it's and like mum with the newborn putting makeup on. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's it. It's like you kind of got to greet the world. It's like, I mean, and I think I've said this before. I don't know if it was on the, the episode list, but it's like the um, shaving at the weekend. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Fitz says to Simmons, you, you're not Hydra. Tell me, I need you to tell me you're not Hydra. And she's like, well, of course I'm not. Uh, and, he's, and he says to her, I don't know what I'd do if you were. Yeah. And like she, I think she puts her hand on his leg. or mm. So there's, a, there's an, a sort of a sense of intimacy there. Um, and there's a, you, like, you get that exchange between um, Sky and um, Trip that I mentioned earlier on where you know, he's saying, oh, hey, I work for this guy now. So you've got a real sense yeah. of, of the solidifying of this new family now that they've lost a family member. Is it a good idea that Coulson used a card in the vending machine? This is how Hannah keeps tabs on me. Is it? <laughs> I'll get a text. You spent two forty nine at two forty nine. What the fuck is going on? In Mexico, Mike, what the fuck? Hey. I mean Miguel. Yeah. What are you You put me in charge of the budget, I take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. Budget and surveillance, it seems. Well. Um and then you get there's a, there's a nice moment where and this is such a Howard Hawks thing as well. Like Howard Hawks, the film director, the classic Western film director, always said that everything is about food and exchanges. Like he would always if a, if a character in a Howard Hawks film 
offered a cigarette to another character, it always meant something. Yeah. Or if they didn't, or if this person lit this person, there was always meaning around this sort of exchanging of, of stuff. So you've got um, Colson offering food to, um, like, sort of just some piece of shit chocolate bar uh, to Sky in this nice little moment. You can see in the background that, that, um, Fitz and Trip are maybe starting to actually kind of drop their their weird kind of like you know pissing contest guard around mm. each other because Fitz offers some food. Uh, sorry, a Trip offers offers some a snack to Fitz as well. Yeah. And it's kind of the it's almost as though the writers and I think this shows a lot of sense in the same way that in the MCU the films you have a huge movie and then you follow up with an Ant Man. This feels like a micro version of that where you've had this huge thing. So it's like right, okay. Now let's just put the characters around a pool yeah. and yeah. have them interact with each other like work colleagues and, mm. you know, have those little kind of character moments where somebody, you know, metaphorically offers somebody a cigarette or says, hey, no, let me get that for you. You know, these little human well, kind you of... you think it's that super decompressed moment and then obviously Coulson goes into his hotel room and May's there. Before you get into the content of that scene, though, the, the fact that you... Because that's the um, after the bumper scene... Mm. So the episode technically ends with this poolside scene, and then you get the. Uh, you know, oh, okay. The, yeah, yeah. Then I, you get the. Oof, I didn't realise that. And then he goes into the room. Now I just want to before you get into we get into talking about that scene. I just want to mention that mechanic, mm. that idea where it's sort of obviously it's designed to elicit um, the post credit scenes that you get in the movies. But because on network TV shows, the end credits are so short, they're only like 30 seconds long, mm. and there isn't time to do them, so they do it that way. But what that also does is it gives the, the showrunners an opportunity to have their cake and eat it. Because I said before that one of the things that I don't like about ongoing storylines in TV shows is that you never get a sense of closure on the episodes. It's always about chasing the next thing. Mm. Because of this thing, they get to do both. Yeah. They can complete the episode and have this lovely scene where they're all around the pool and you've got the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. logo comes up. That's the end. But then the, ooh, moment that yeah. will take you into the next episode is this, is this extra thing. Yeah. So they basically get to do both. And I think that's a really clever mechanic mm. in order to sort of not have to put all your money on one horse stylistically as far as how you do it. Yep. But anyway, take us home, Hannah. So this final scene... Uh... Well, <laughs> my only note is... I, I've got two notes. The first one is Mace back. How long did she look? Yeah. Like, well, it's like, it's like her and Kobe Smallness walking around the corner. Like, well, she's basically standing in Coulson's darkened hotel room waiting for him to re-enter so she could, like, tell him... In fairness, she's an assassin, so she's probably quite good. Yes, yeah. uh, but like if that was me, I'd be like, oh, 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 he's having a trouble. <laughs> it reminds about. me, I'll never oh. forget, of, of, I went round to Paul's house once and watched loads of episodes of the really shitty 1970s live action Spider Man series. Yeah. And there's this one bit where he, Spider Man, uh, and it's because it's a shitty TV series, he looks like he's wearing the costume I had when I was a kid, just like he's like his mum made it. Knitted and um, Spider Man. Yeah, 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 it's just like sweating in the LA heat, you know. And, um, <laughs> He in the scene, he breaks into this building and no one knows he's coming. It's completely spontaneous. He breaks in yeah. and he's walking around, and these two guys just jump out from behind the curtains like these karate guys are like ha. Ah! <laughs> um, and we're watching it and we're like, 
how the fuck did he, they know he was going to come? Were they just like, d- d- are they paid to just stand behind <laughs> curtains like for months? Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. case the superhero sort of uh, breaks yeah, out. Yeah, I totally got their vibe. Like, how long were you there? Yeah, yeah. Um, and my only other note is that I love my most favourite thing about this whole episode is that I love that it ends on, huh. Mm. It could be da 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 or something hugely significant, but just a huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, that's very in keeping. It's very, very MCU, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, we learn that she's been looking into who's behind Tahiti, and we see that it's him on the video talking about how. Um, memory memory replacement is kind of prerequisite in order to prevent people from just going fucking mental mm. from dealing with all of this. Uh, and he says that he should uh, cancel the project. And uh, but um, but yes. So what we'll do is um, we'll take a short break uh, and then we will have a little spoiler conversation and see if there's anything in this episode that uh, connects to later episodes. Uh, if you are going to leave us now, thank you very much, and we will see you very soon. Thank we've you got, so much. We've got three other episodes already recorded and edited and ready to go. So. And and just don't worry if you have subsequently sent feedback in, because just to let you know, we did record a lot of episodes all in one go. And one of those episodes is directly related entirely to a piece of feedback. Yes, it is. So, if you send that, thank you. (laughs) I I think that's feedback we had in the finale. Um, Finale? (laughs) Finale. All I'm saying is we recorded quite a few episodes in one go. So, if you have sent feedback and we haven't read it out yet... We'll get to it. We will get to it. And please send some more voicemails, emails, however you want to send it. Fantastic. We really, really, really appreciate it. And it's so lovely to hear uh, what you're all thinking and your ideas on the show and any questions you might have, any thoughts you might have, differing opinions. We're keen for everything. And you can do that at rewatchprojectpodcast at gmail.com. Again, we would appreciate it if you could uh, subscribe and review us via Apple Podcasts. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at rewatchproj. You can also leave us voicemails on the site. I haven't actually gone and checked to see whether we've got any of those, so I should probably do that at some point. Um, But yes, we will now take a short break and then we will return and do a little bit This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on The Bonus Shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. I'm clearance level six. I know that Agent Coulson was killed in action before the Battle of New York. Got the full report. 
Welcome to level seven. Sorry, that corner was really dark and I couldn't help myself. I think there's a bulb out. Okay, so welcome back everybody. And we are now in the spoiler section of the show. So Hannah, is there anything of a spoilery nature you would like to mention? Most definitely. Um, So one of my biggest spoilers, I mean, I don't have a lot, but um, uh, Fitz's reaction initially toward being the bad guy when he smashes up the, you know, Providence or wherever it is Mm -hmm. that they are. Um, I think that that is a direct correlation to the relationship he has or did have with his father Um, because Ward is a trusted older male role model. Yeah. And whose approval has, he's been seeking. Yeah, whose approval he's been seeking and he has been let down by him and um, lied to by him, which is, as you will find out, like, I can't even remember, is it season five or season four? I can't remember. But, um, you know, you realise that his his dad was an absolute narcissistic asshole. Um and yeah, um, basically, Ward is that man. Um, so that was really interesting because I feel like, you know, they're season one, but they're setting up so much stuff that they can mine later. Um, just having him have that really visceral, I trusted you, I can't believe that you're bad because I believed that you were so good. Thing. And that also sort of plays into Fitz checking that Simmons isn't Hydra when they're sitting in the pool with their feet in the water when he says, you know, what is it? He has to know. Hydra. She's the only other person he 100% trusts. So he, like, if she was not who she was when he says, I don't know what I'd do, I think that that connects with that like my father let me down ward has let me down if you let me down too i i honestly don't know what i would do well he'd have no sort of remaining anchors yeah yeah exactly yeah i i just thought that that was that was really interesting that they did that so early and you know it could just be a case of they did it then and then they worked a story around it later but it works so perfectly in there that I thought it was lovely. Mm. I mean, the, the other thing as well, obviously, is that you've got more hints at what will become a relationship between Fitz and Simmons yeah. as well. Oh, of course. You know, well, and, I mean, that's about and to course, get, And of course, like, in May as well. But, like, Fitz and Simmons, he's about to, like, declare his love to her in the next episode or episode after. Yeah. And, and I mean, also you've got the sort of the. I think that this is where they start to try and back off uh, a little bit on um, the. Uh, did they do more with Trip and Simmons, sort of potentially romantically? Is that um, what, the, the sort of like love triangly thing? I can't remember. I can't remember either. But I mean, that's going to be at the start of season two. Yeah. So I mean. It, I mean, and Trip is in the show for a fair old while, mm. so it feels that well, this until is... until they go through the pterogenesis. Yeah, it's at the end of the next mm. season. 
So it feels like this episode is also very quietly setting up the kind of the new um, dynamic yeah. for the next season. I mean, there'll be more characters introduced I in the first I sort of feel episode. like the, the tripod element isn't a huge thing. No, it's but, not. It's but not. I can't, like, I can't honestly remember. Yeah, I think but it's done more. the fact more. that I can't remember says to me that it, it can't have been massive. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think that they do it from a will-they-won't-they they perspective mm. between Fitz... Sorry, between Simmons and Trip. I think it's more just that they want to remind the audience... Create that, some drama. That, no, well, I think they just want to remind the audience that Fitz like Simmons. Yeah. And the best way to do that is by showing him being... Being all like huffy yeah. and jealous, you know, by having another character who's, you know, a potential suitor, I yeah. guess. The other spoiler I had was the rivalry between Mike and Ward directly correlates to the next episode where you get Ward's backstory and where he's come from and the fact that he has a very divisive relationship with his brothers. Yeah. So, and seeking the father's approval. So, um, for Mike to swoop in and do the things to Sky it's that he's again. supposed to do, yeah, and he's it's and, happening and, again. So, when um, he had his heart stopped, it's like, oh, great, I'm being bullied by my older brother again. Yeah, and and kind of Garrett means more to him than his father. Yeah, you know, he's Spent he more is time his father. Him. He's been more yeah. formative, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, there's, there's, um, there's a lot of sort of emotional complexity going on there. I thought it was really, really well handled. Um, yeah. Those were the only spoilers I had. Okay, cool. All right, well, that's us done for this week then. But yeah, so uh, what's the next episode then, Hannah? Okay, so what is the next episode we are covering? The next episode is episode 21, Ragtag. I edited Ward's that today. <laughs> Ward's betrayal and Hydra's shocking secrets are revealed as Coulson's team goes undercover on a mission that leaves no one unscathed. Okay, so uh, join us for that, guys. And uh, in the meantime, stay safe out there. is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.